0: Good morning, church family. Yes, good to see you. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to the book of Galatians. We are beginning a new series today that's going to uh, take us through this book. And I'm excited about it. I've really been looking forward to this. And this morning... I want to just help us begin to engage with the message of this book and and why it matters. And so I'm gonna ask you to use your imagination here for a few minutes, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine how you would react, how you would feel if the scenario I'm about to describe actually happened, okay? I want you to think of a child, small child, whom you love. Maybe your child or a grandchild or child of a family near and dear to you. And I want you to imagine, now you're not gonna like this, but bear with me, okay? I want you to imagine that this child is diagnosed with a deadly childhood disease. And the prognosis is grim. Virtually every child who contracts this disease dies of it, thousands each year. But then, now you'll like this part, then you learn that a team of researchers has discovered a cure, and they have developed a medication that cures this terrible disease if it's taken in time. And it's difficult, there are some unpleasant side effects that are hard on the child, but it works, and in a few months of treatment, the disease is gone, and the child that you love is completely cured. How how would you react? How would you respond? How would you feel? Hallelujah. That's a good, good response right there. Okay, now. Now imagine it's a few years later and another team of researchers announces with great fanfare that they have developed a new and improved version of the original formula which not only cures the disease but does away with the hardships of the original so that by modifying the formula, by adding some additional ingredients, the unpleasant side effects are eliminated. And so hundreds of families respond to this and decide to go with the new treatment only to discover months later that it doesn't work. The added ingredients not only fail to improve the original formula, they actually nullify it. It no longer cures the disease. And now it's too late. And every child who took the new medication dies. How would you respond? How would you respond to that? Now, let's make it worse. And now imagine that we are not talking here, we're not talking here just about death instead of life. We're talking about eternal death instead of eternal life. Now, what's at stake is forfeiting Eternal life and joy and peace in the very presence of God, our Creator, and instead facing eternal misery and despair and separation from God and everything good. And all because instead of putting your hope in the one and only remedy for our fatal condition, which the Bible describes as sin, instead of putting your hope in the one and only remedy, which God himself provided, you chose instead to trust in a new, improved version of, Which turns out to be absolutely worthless. That is the situation that's being addressed in this book. You'll see the subtitle, well, you can't see it there. I think maybe it's on your uh, folder. The subtitle for the series is The Glory and the Gravity of the Gospel. And what I mean by that, I think most of us can kind of connect with the idea of the glory of the gospel. Good news, the good news of Jesus, it's glorious, it's beautiful. What is the gravity of the gospel? By that I mean it's weight. It's weightiness. It's significance. It's, its massive importance. You know, in the universe, the more massive an object is, the more gravity it has. Well, when it comes to all the different issues that you and I face in life, just everything, all the everyday stuff, all our relationships, uh, our vocation, our schooling, or all the stuff we're involved in, all the difficulties and challenges of all the issues we face in life, nothing, nothing is more massive, nothing is more significant, nothing has greater weight than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a lightweight issue. This is not trivial. It matters so much that we get the gospel right. Because what's at stake is eternal life or eternal death. And we're going to begin to see that, we're going to begin to see both the the glory and the gravity of the gospel right here in the earliest goings in this book, this, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to some churches, churches in a place, a region of the Roman Empire called Galatia, that's where we get the name, and we begin to see the glory and the gravity of the gospel, not only in what Paul says, his content, but in how he says it in the emotion with which he says it. This is Paul at his most passionate. I mean, you really feel the emotion coming through. I don't know what topics get you really wound up. Most of us have some. And you know what your your friends and relatives, you know what their topics are because you try to avoid them because they're (laughs) going to get all wound up. Most of us have a few issues that if you get us going, look out. You're going to get some passion. You're going to get some emotion about it. Well, I don't know what gets you going, what gets you wound up, but you're about to see, you're about to see what got an apostle of Jesus Christ really wound up, okay? So, Galatians chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Here we go. Paul, an apostle... according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, can you feel it? Can you you sense the intensity here? Paul says he's astonished. He's just, he's dumbfounded. He's shocked. He literally cannot believe what these people are considering doing. Well, Okay. What is it? That's just so unbelievable. What does it take to astonish an apostle? What does it take? Well, it's not a lack of faith. Unbelief did not astonish Paul. He preached the gospel of Jesus all over the place. And there were always people who did not respond in faith so that it saddened him. It frustrated him, but it didn't shock him, didn't astonish him. And uh, problems didn't astonish him either. He was well aware that Jesus has said, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus promised we'd have trouble, we'd have persecution. So problems are hard, but they're not astonishing. Another thing that didn't astonish him was sin. Sin is not astonishing if you understand what the Bible says about humanity, about this world. Um, It's terrible, sin is terrible, but it's not particularly surprising or astonishing um, I, ha- I have a relative who used to believe, I don't think she does anymore, she used to believe that um, sin is not normal, it's not natural, doesn't come to us just automatically, we're just taught it by other people. And she believed that until she discovered her little I think, two-year-old son purposely pinching his baby sister just to make her cry. <laughs> and she was shocked, she was astonished, because she'd obviously never taught him to do that. Nor anyone else. Sin's not astonishing. Um, In fact, when Paul wrote to churches that were off the rails into sin, he he never once says he's astonished by that. Uh, For example, consider the letter, his first letter to the church of Corinth. We call it the the book of 1 Corinthians. He starts this letter out with the customary introduction that ancient letters were written. And so it starts out, this was the format for uh, letters in those days, you would start out with the author, then you would name the recipients, then you would give a word of greeting, and then a word of thanksgiving. That's just how it works. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 starts out Paul, that's the author, to the church of God that's in Corinth, that's the recipients, grace and peace to you. That's Paul's customary greeting. He kind of takes the greeting of the day and tweaks it a little bit and makes it Christian. It's cool. And then, then he gives thanks. He says, verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you. So notice, and here's the thing. He's giving thanks for these people. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians. These people were pretty messed up. They were involved in some, you know, some pretty serious sin. And yet he doesn't say he's astonished, and he says here in verse 4, I I thank my God for you. But in this letter, in Galatians, okay, author, recipients, greeting, no thanksgiving. He skips right over it and goes straight to, I am astonished at you people. As if to say, you know, when I think about you guys, what I'm feeling is not gratitude, What I'm feeling is not thanksgiving. What I am feeling is total shock. I absolutely cannot believe what I am hearing about you. Okay, so if it's not unbelief, if it's not problems, if it's not sin that's astonishing him, what is? He is astonished that anyone who actually understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, the genuine good news of Jesus, that anyone would even think of exchanging that for something else. That's what's astonishing him. You know what it means to exchange something, right? You get a gift. Maybe it's your birthday or Christmas, and you get a gift from Aunt Lulu, and you don't particularly love it. So you take it back to the store. She gave you the gift receipt and you can exchange it for something better, something you like, something you prefer. The very idea that you could exchange the gospel for something better is absolutely unthinkable to Paul. Why? Why? Why is that so unthinkable? Why is exchanging the gospel an unthinkable transaction? I want to explore this with you because what I want, what I'm praying for is that we will all begin to sense more and more what's really at stake here. The gospel. Many of you are familiar. Now, you might be here today and and this could be your first exposure to the gospel. And I'm glad you're here and you might think, wow, this guy's really you know, intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because what's at stake is, is, is more significant than anything else you can imagine. And I know that's a big statement, but bear with me. Why is exchanging the gospel an unthinkable transaction? I'll show you a couple of reasons here from what Paul says. The first reason it's unthinkable is because there are no substitutes for the gospel. Only worthless counterfeits. There's no substitute. No substitute, only worthless counterfeits. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to... Keyword distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to realize that the people he's talking about are not people who, who don't understand the gospel. They, it's not as if they don't know what the gospel is. They're not ignorant. You, know, you might have people come to your door or whatever who they think they're telling you the gospel and they're not, but they don't really realize it's not the real gospel. These guys did, and they're distorting it. They're changing it because they don't, they don't think it's good enough. And what he's saying here is if you distort, if you modify, if you change in any way the gospel of Jesus Christ, you lose it. You lose it. Well, what's the gospel? Paul's going to explain it in different ways as we go through the book, but we can see it right here in shorthand, verses 3 and 4. Look what he says. grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us. You can also see in verse 1, it says, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. So here are the core elements of the gospel. Jesus gave himself. He died on a cross. That's what that means. Why? For our sins. That is, everything that's wrong with us. Everything about us that separates us from God who is utterly holy and righteous. He gave himself, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us, to set us free. And he rose from the dead. Those are the core pieces of the gospel. And the thing here's the thing to highlight. He did it. He did it. He gave himself. He does the delivering. He does it all. His merit, not ours. His achievement, not ours. His accomplishment, not ours. His performance, not ours. His righteousness, his sacrifice, his goodness, his, not ours. That's why it's Good news. That's what gospel means. See, that's why it's good news, because our deliverance is on Him, not us. And when you get that, and when you understand that, that's like, that's the best news you could ever hear. But again and again and again throughout history and still today, some people cannot handle the idea that we somehow don't need to contribute something to our deliverance. There's got to be a piece that I contribute. So even if Jesus is 95% accomplishes it, there's got to be a 5% that I do somehow some way. And this idea that somehow we can become completely right with God experiencing his full and total approval only by putting our trust in Jesus and what he accomplished. And by the way, putting our trust in him, that's not a contribution. That's not a work. It's simply a channel. Faith isn't working. Faith is the opposite of working. It's trusting in somebody else who does the work. Okay, I don't do it. You do it. Okay, I'll trust you. That's faith. And this idea that somehow that's, that's the gospel, that Jesus does it all. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I, I just put my hope in that, in him. That's considered too easy. It's not enough, they think. We've got to contribute something. So some kind of rule keeping, or some kind of ritual performing, or some kind of sin conquering effort on our part. That's what we need to do in order to fully experience God's total approval. And God is saying... Through his chosen messenger? No. No. Absolutely not. You contribute nothing. If you try to add anything to the good news of what my son accomplished for you, you lose that good news. And you wind up with a counterfeit message that's completely worthless to deliver anyone. And here's the thing about counterfeits. A couple things about counterfeits. But one is, the closer they are to the real thing, the harder they are to spot. That's why we have to be so careful about counterfeit gospels. Because there are, I mentioned, there are people who come to your door Nice, very nice people, and they claim to have the true gospel, and it's going to sound good. It's going to sound good, because they're going to use Bible words and talk about Jesus being the Son of God who died to redeem us and everything, and it's going to sound good. But then, when you just when you go deeper and find out what they actually mean by those Bible words, you don't find Bible meaning. You find different meaning, and when you learn how they think a person is made right with God and gains God approval, it's not the real gospel at all. It sounds similar, but similar does not mean real. Okay, so you think about this. Here's the thing, you might think, well, if it's really close to the original, then it must be almost as good. Well, is a counterfeit bill that's really close to the real thing is that almost as good? It's not good at all. If it's 99.9% the same but there's a difference because it's a counterfeit, it's absolutely worthless. It has no value. And and a so-called gospel if it's not the real thing, it's nothing. In fact, it's worse than worthless. It's deceptive. And see, this is why Paul has such harsh words for those who intentionally change the gospel. He's so harsh. Uh, Verse 8, But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Do you guys know what he's saying there? Let him be damned. Let him be condemned eternally. Let him go to hell. And then he says it again, just to make sure we know he's not kidding. Now you might go, whoa, wow, is that harsh? Why so harsh? Because those who do that, those who do that are leading people away from God. And the only hope of being right with him verse 6 says i'm astonished that you are deserting him you turn away from the gospel you don't just turn away from a message you turn away from god a changed gospel is no longer what paul says in romans 1:16, when he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But you change the gospel and you turn it from that. It's no longer the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It becomes merely another human scheme of self-improvement that has zero power to change anybody. You change it, you lose it. Now, it's very possible you read this, and you know, again, it's like this is your first exposure to Christianity, and you, know, you came in to check things out, and you're kind of like, whoa, this is really intense. Uh, you might feel like Paul's kind of overreacting here, And the reason we feel like that is because in our culture, issues of spirituality, faith, religion, or whatever, our, our culture's really into the cafeteria approach. So you go down the buffet line, and you see what you like, and you take it, you put it on your tray, and if you don't like it, you leave it. And then you wind up with that which works for you, and that's that's kind of... The issue, does it work for you? If it does, that's all that matters. No. Wrong. False. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Distorting the gospel, the reason it's so bad is because it dishonors Christ. It dishonors Christ because basically the reason He gets the glory is because He did it all. And to the degree that you diminish what He did, you diminish his glory, and that's not acceptable to the Father. It dishonors Christ to change the gospel, and it destroys people. This is why Paul so wound up. There are no substitutes for the genuine gospel. There are only worthless counterfeits. And one other reason why it's unthinkable to exchange the gospel It means, this is getting a little more practical for us, it means exchanging freedom for bondage. Does that make sense? Hey, I'm free, I have freedom. I think I'll go trade that in for some slavery. Exchanging freedom for bondage. Key verse for this book, Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's where I got the title for our series, How Jesus Makes Us Free. Because this book makes such a strong contrast between the freedom we can have in Christ versus the bondage of law-keeping, rule-keeping, some form of merit-based approval with God. Our merit. Performance based. See, the Galatians were being told, "Yeah, you know that that gospel of Jesus that that's well." You, you guys haven't really heard the the full message yet. You, you got the part that he died for your sins and all, that. that's good. But you know, trusting Jesus isn't enough. If you really want God's full approval, if you want Him to be yeah toward you, well. Then you need to keep the rules that God gave us in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And what we're going to see as we go along is that point of view completely misunderstands the gospel and completely misunderstands the law of Moses. Now, I'm guessing most of you are not inclined to do that. Most of you are probably not trying to gain God's approval by keeping the law of Moses. However, you may very well be trying to gain God's approval in other ways that are just as contrary to the gospel. We do that. It's so natural for us to focus on our performance. And whether you focus on your performance, it's like, yeah, I'm doing really good, or focus on your performance in the sense of, man, I really suck. I really keep blowing it. The focus is on you and your performance. Instead of trusting in Christ and his performance. But when we do that, to the degree that we do that, we exchange freedom for bondage. Let me give you a couple practical examples. First of all, if you exchange the gospel for something performance-based, whatever that looks like, You are exchanging the freedom of relating to God as Father. You are exchanging the freedom of relating to God as Father for the bondage of perpetually trying to appease Him as judge. So instead of relating to God as Father, who approves of me, who loves me because I'm in Christ, I've got to please him. I've got to try to appease him by my performance. Relate to him as father, freedom. Relate to him as a judge you have to appease all the time, bondage. Three times in the first four verses, Paul calls God father. Twice calling him our father. And he's talking about we Christians, we who belong to Jesus. Now, how can that possibly be true? How can we possibly relate to God as Father when we know full well that we have broken His laws, we have despised His leadership at times, we have made ourselves completely unworthy to be in His holy presence? How can we call Him Father? How can that possibly be true? Galatians 3.26 For in Christ Jesus, that is, in union with Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Union with Christ through faith, you become a son of God. Now, don't be put off by that if you're a woman or a girl. You just need to understand that in, in that time of history, sons got the inheritance, And as Paul's going to make clear as we go through this book, in Christ there's neither male nor female, slave, free, Jew, Greek. The point is, all of you are sons. You have sonship through faith in union with Christ. That's how you become a child of God, a son of God. That's the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 4. God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We get adopted into God's family, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's freedom. And the corollary, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. No condemnation. When you belong to Christ through faith in him, that's the gospel. You never, ever face God the way a guilty prisoner faces a judge, hoping, hoping to somehow convince the judge to acquit you. That's a form of bondage. And God's children never have to experience that, ever. God's children children have the freedom to know him as father. You, You don't have to somehow gain God's full approval. You already have it in Christ. Full acceptance, full approval. Only the gospel gives you that. Why would you want to exchange that for bondage? One more example. If you exchange the gospel, you exchange the freedom... Of relying on God's Spirit. We just saw that in uh, Galatians 4. He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You exchange the freedom of relying on God's Spirit to change you for the bondage of trying to change yourself. Two different dynamics. How do you change? How do you get changed? Gospel, you rely on God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within you. Not gospel, rely on your effort. Try harder. Do more. Be better. This becomes the major theme in the last part of the book, beginning in chapter 5, verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flesh, there's sin nature, old nature. Um, the point is that by walking by the Spirit, that's how you don't follow the sin nature, and you live a life pleasing to God. See, here's the thing. The Gospel not only tells us how Jesus makes us right with God, becoming children of God, it tells us how Jesus keeps us right with God and enables us to live as children of God. See, not we don't... We don't this is a, a, a common error Christians can fall into. It's like, okay, we start out as Christians, we become children of God by faith in Jesus, and then it switches over, and now it's on us to, uh, to live as children of God and to make ourselves better. No. Only his spirit can enable us to live the way he wants us to. Only his spirit. So ask yourself, are you trying to improve yourself by your own efforts? And if you're honest, Jesus doesn't really enter into it. God's Spirit doesn't really enter into it. It's like, by faith, what does that even mean? But you're trying to improve yourself by your own efforts, make yourself more pleasing to God, trying harder, doing more, being better. You know what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if you're really frustrated at your inability to change yourself, this is why. It doesn't work. You're just going to feel enslaved to your failures. It can't be done. And the good news is, it doesn't need to be done by you. It's already been done for you. Jesus did it for you. He won God's full approval for you. And now in him, you have it. And you always have it in him. It's not just non-Christians who need to hear the gospel. Every single person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and wants to live a life pleasing Him, we need to hear the gospel again and again and again so that we can live in the freedom that Christ died to give us. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If you're going, what does that mean? Well, we'll talk about it. This is what it means, though. In the life I now live, okay, I have a new identity. The life I now live in the flesh, and there he means in the body. The life I now live in the flesh, I live this way. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I titled this series, How Jesus Makes Us Right With God, instead of just how he made us right with God. Because it's not just that he made us, he continues to make us. And we need to live by faith in him. So, what do I want you to walk away with today? I hope you're walking away with a beginning to feel a sense of, boy, gospel, this really matters. This really matters. I need to get this right. I need to know the gospel, the genuine gospel. I need to share the genuine gospel. It really matters. And I look forward to walking through this with you. Let's pray together. Father, it is your will, it is your desire that we would live in the freedom that your Son purchased for us on the cross and continues to work into our lives by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray you'd help us understand what that means and live it out. That the hallmark of our lives would be joy and hope and praise to you. May you receive all the glory Because the gospel is your answer, and it is our only hope. Help us feel how much it matters, and help us determine to believe what you have said, what you have spoken, and not accept any substitute. I pray that for everyone in this room, and for myself, in Jesus' name, amen.